0: The Confessions of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc Narrated by Paul Spera Lupin's Marriage Monsieur Arsène Lupin has the honour to inform you of his approaching marriage with Mademoiselle Angélique de Sarzeau vendome Princesse de Bourbon-Condé, and to request the pleasure of your company at the wedding, which will take place at the Church of sainte Clotilde. The Duke de Sarzeau vendome has the honour to inform you of the approaching marriage of his daughter Angélique, Princesse de Bourbon-Condé, with Monsieur Arsène Lupin, and to request Jean, Duke of Sarzeau vendome could not finish reading the invitations which he held in his trembling hand. Pale with anger, his long, lean body shaking with tremors. There, he gasped, handing the two communications to his daughter. That is what our friends have received. This has been the talk of Paris since yesterday. What do you say to that dastardly insult, Angelique? What would your poor mother say to it if she was alive? Angélique was tall and thin like her father, skinny and angular like him. She was thirty-three years of age, always dressed in black, shy and retiring in manner, with a head too small in proportion to her height, and narrowed on either side until the nose seemed to jut forth in protest against such parsimony. And yet it would be impossible to say that she was ugly, for her eyes were extremely beautiful, soft and grave, proud and a little sad, pathetic eyes which to see once was to remember. She flushed with shame at hearing her father's word, which told her the scandal of which she was the victim. But as she loved him, notwithstanding his harshness to her, his injustice and despotism, she said, Oh, I think it must be meant for a joke, father, to which we need pay no attention. A joke? Why, everyone is gossiping about it. A dozen papers have printed the confounded notice this morning with satirical comments. They quote our pedigree, our ancestors, our illustrious dead. They pretend to take the thing seriously. Still, no one could believe. Of course not. But that doesn't prevent us from being the byword of Paris. It will all be forgotten tomorrow. Tomorrow, my girl, people will remember that the name of Angelique de Sazo vendome has been bandied about as it should not be. Oh, if I could find out the name of the scoundrel who's dead. At that moment, Hyacinthe, the Duke's valet, came in and said that Monsieur le Duc was wanted on the telephone. Still fuming, he took down the receiver and growled. Well, who is it? Yes, it's the Duc de Sarzot-Vendôme speaking. A voice replied, I want to apologize to you, Monsieur le Duc, and to Mademoiselle Angelique, it's my secretary's fault. Your secretary? Yes, the invitations were only a rough draft, which I meant to submit to you. Unfortunately, my secretary thought, But tell me, monsieur, who are you? What, monsieur the duke, don't you know my voice? The voice of your future son-in-law? What? Arsène Lupin. The duke dropped into a chair. His face was livid. Arsène Lupin. Is he arsène lupin angelique gave a smile you see father it's only a joke a hoax but the duke's rage broke out afresh and he began to walk up and down moving his arms i shall go to the police the fellow can't be allowed to make a fool of me in this way if there's any law left in the land it must be stopped Hyacinthe entered the room again he brought two visiting cards Chautois, Le Petit, don't know them. They are both journalists, Monsieur le Duc. What do they want? They would like to speak to Monsieur le Duc with regard to the marriage. Turn them out, exclaimed the Duke. Kick them out, and tell the porter not to admit scum of that sort to my house in the future. Please, Father, Angelique ventured to say. As for you, shut up. If you had consented to marry one of your cousins when I wanted you to, this wouldn't have happened. The same evening, one of the two reporters printed on the front page of his paper a somewhat fanciful story of his expedition to the family mansion of the Sarzo Vendômes in the Rue de Varennes and expatiated pleasantly upon the old nobleman's wrathful protests. The next morning, another newspaper published an interview with Arsène Lupin, which was supposed to have taken place in a lobby at the opera. Arsène Lupin retorted in a letter to the editor, "'I share my prospective father-in-law's indignation to the full. The sending out of the invitations was a gross breach of etiquette for which I am not responsible, but for which I wish to make a public apology.' "'Why, sir, the date of the marriage is not yet fixed.' My bride's father suggests early in May. She and I think that six weeks is really too long to wait. What gave a special piquancy to the affair and added immensely to the enjoyment of the friends of the family was the Duke's well-known character, his pride, and the uncompromising nature of his ideas and principles. Duke Jean was the last descendant of the Barons de Sarzo, the most ancient family in Brittany. He was the lineal descendant of that Sarzo who, upon marrying a Vendome, refused to bear the new title which Louis the fifteenth. forced upon him until after he had been imprisoned for ten years in the Bastille, and he had abandoned none of the prejudices of the old regime. In his youth he followed the Comte de Chambord into exile; in his old age he refused a seat in the chamber on the pretext that a Sarzo could only sit with his peers. The incident stung him to the quick. Nothing could pacify him. He cursed Lupin in good, round terms, threatened him with every sort of punishment, and rounded on his daughter. There, eh, if you had only married. After all, you had plenty of chances. Your three cousins, Musy, Damboise, and carlos are noblemen of good descent, allied to the best families fairly well off, then they are still anxious to marry you. Why do you refuse them? Ah, because Miss is a dreamer a sentimentalist, and because her cousins are too fat, too thin, or too coarse for her. She was, in fact, a dreamer. Left to her own devices from childhood, she had read all the books of chivalry, all the colorless romances of olden time that littered the ancestral presses, and she looked upon life as a fairy tale in which the beauteous maidens were always happy while the others wait till death for the bridegroom who does not come. Why should she marry one of her cousins when they were only after her money, the millions which she had inherited from her mother? She might as well remain an old maid and go on dreaming. She answered gently, You will end by making yourself ill, father. Forget this silly business. But how could he forget it? Every morning some pinprick renewed his wound. Three days running, Angelique received a wonderful sheaf of flowers, with Arsène Lupin's card peeping from it. The duke could not go to his club, but a friend accosted him. That was a good one today. What was? Why, your son-in-law's latest, haven't you seen it? Here, read it for yourself. Monsieur Arsène Lupin is petitioning the Council of State for permission to add his wife's name to his own, and to be known henceforth as Lupin de Sarzot Vendôme. And the next day, he read... As the young bride, by virtue of an unrepealed decree of Charles X, bears the title and arms of the Bourbon condes of whom she is the heiress of line, the eldest son of the Lupins de SarrzeauVndome will be styled Prince de Bourbon conde, and the day after an advertisement. Exhibition of Mademoiselle de Sarzo-Vendôme's Trousseau at Mr. X's Great Linen Warehouse, each article marked with initials LSV. Then an illustrated paper published a photographic scene, the Duke, his daughter, and his son-in-law sitting at a table playing three-handed auction bridge. And the date was also announced with a great flourish of trumpets, the 4th of May and particulars were given of the marriage settlement, Lupin showed himself wonderfully disinterested. He was prepared to sign, the newspapers said, with his eyes closed, without knowing the figure of the dowry. All these things drove the old duke crazy. His hatred of Lupin assumed morbid proportions. Much as it went against the grain, he called on the prefect of police, who advised him to be on his guard. We know the gentleman's ways. He is employing one of his favorite dodges. Forgive the expression, Monsieur le Duc, but he is nursing you. Don't fall into the trap. What dodge? What trap? asked the Duke, anxiously. He is trying to make you lose your head and to lead you, by intimidation, to do something which you would refuse to do in cold blood. Still, Monsieur Arsène Lupin can hardly hope that I will offer him my daughter's hand. No, but he hopes that you will commit, to put it mildly, a blunder. What blunder? Exactly the blunder which he wants you to commit. Then you think, Monsieur le Prefet, I think the best thing you can do, Monsieur le Duc, is to go home, or, if all this excitement worries you, to run down to the country and stay there quietly, without upsetting yourself. This conversation only increased the old duke's fears. Lupin appeared to him in the light of a terrible person who employed diabolical methods and kept accomplices in every sphere of society. Prudence was the watchword. And life from that moment became intolerable. The duke grew more crabbed and silent than ever and denied his door to all his old friends and even to Angelique's three suitors, her cousins de Mussy, d'Amboise and de Caors, who were none of them on speaking terms with the others in consequence of their rivalry, and who were in the habit of calling turn and turn about every week. For no earthly reason he dismissed his butler and his coachman, but he dared not fill their places for fear of engaging creatures of Arsene Lupin's, and his own man Hyacinthe, in whom he had every confidence, having had him in his service for over forty years, had to take upon himself the laborious duties of the stables and the pantry. Come, father, said Angelique, trying to make him listen to common sense. I really can't see what you're afraid of. No one can force me into this ridiculous marriage. Well, of course, that's not what I'm afraid of. What then, father? How could I tell? An abduction, a burglary, an act of violence. There is no doubt that the villain is scheming something, and there is also no doubt that we are surrounded by spies. One afternoon, he received a newspaper in which the following paragraph was marked in red pencil. The signing of the marriage contract is fixed for this evening at the Sazo vendome townhouse. It will be quite a private ceremony, and only a few privileged friends will be present to congratulate the happy pair. The witnesses to the contract on behalf of Mademoiselle de Sazo vendome the Prince de la Rochefoucauld-Limours, and the Comte de Chartres will be introduced by Monsieur Arsène Lupin to the two gentlemen who have claimed the honor of acting as his groomsmen, namely the Prefect of Police and the Governor of the Santé Prison.